Matthew chapter number 12. It is so, so good to be here. We've had so many guest speakers. I'm just glad to be in this pulpit tonight. I'm going to be sharing a little something with you. Matthew chapter number 12. We're going to start, we're going to read three verses of scripture here, 40, 43 through 45. Let's start Matthew chapter 12, verse number 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding None. I'll explain that a little bit more here once we read these scriptures. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Verse number 45. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. And I want to talk to us for a few moments tonight about a dangerous vacation. A dangerous vacation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank God for your word. Thank God for your spirit, this precious Holy Ghost. Thank God for your people. We pray that you there's so many that are out because of sickness and all kinds of maladies. God, we pray for your healing virtue to strengthen them, raise them, touch them. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, this is one of the most controversial chapters in the entirety of the book of Matthew. I am not going to spend a lot of time on why it's controversial. It is not controversial because of this passage that I read here um, from verse 43 to 45. That is not what makes it controversial. It is a controversial chapter because it talks about the blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. And there are a few other places, but they, they follow Matthew's lead on that. And the book of Matthew, chapter number 12, definitely describes the blaspheme or the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. 
And I'm just going to quickly talk about this because it does have import um, to what we're going to talk about here tonight. Jesus, of course, rebukes the devil, and there are people that are there that claim that he does this by the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub was commonly known as being the prince of the devils. Okay, now stick with me here because it's, it's a big deal. This is not really what I'm going to talk about, but I'm explaining why it's controversial. And so essentially what they did is they accused or made a claim that what Jesus did by the power of God, they attributed that to the power of the devil. Okay? And so Jesus took that opportunity to use that to illustrate what the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is, which is, by definition, to attribute a work of God to the devil. That is essentially what the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is. And the reason why that has far-reaching implications even beyond Matthew chapter number 12. Now, you already know that the religious hierarchy, the religious leadership of the day was already against Jesus. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. They did not believe in who he said he was and who others claimed that he was. And so it was an all-out attack to defer any type of allegiance to Jesus, and one of these was to claim that he was doing this by the power of the devil. This is why this is, in my opinion, that this is extremely important, extremely important. For people to say that speaking in other tongues is not of God is getting very, very close There are entire denominational and religious movements in our world today that do not believe in anything that is supernatural. And when pressed on this, some people will cite doctrinal reasons. Most of them were doctrines that were, that were galvanized and solidified in the Reformation or just following the Reformation with men such as John Calvin and others that believed, uh, they did not believe that the supernatural operation of the Holy Ghost was still in operation today. They believe, they believe in the Holy Spirit because that's the third person of their trinity, but they don't believe that God is doing what he did in the book of Acts. Aren't you thankful for truth tonight? Aren't you thankful that God is definitely still moving? If you were here on Sunday, you saw God moving. God is absolutely moving. In fact, what he began in the book of Acts will not stop, at least until the rapture of the church. So it's not only speaking in tongues, they don't believe it's for today. There are some 
denominations that believe that speaking in tongues is of the devil. In my opinion, if that is not blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, it's as close as you can possibly get. And that's a serious offense. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to just fully explain that because I introduced Matthew chapter 12 and this context because it's all part and parcel of the context of Scripture because it deals with the devil. So in our particular passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking and he's explaining. Look, you don't, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. This constant baiting and constant cross-examining, pardon me, cross-examination of Jesus. So it begins here with our text in verse number 43. Jesus says this. And he is operating, he is explaining something that is far beyond the spiritual grasp of a human being. Make no mistake about it, people in the Old Testament definitely believed in the supernatural realm. They believed in that. And they believed in it to varying degrees. But Jesus is describing something here that has never been described ever in the entirety of the word of God heretofore. When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. I'm gonna offer some commentary to that. What that simply means is, is a disembodied spirit is not, has no fulfillment has no purpose outside of being a part of a human life. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, then that spirit, that disembodied spirit, goes on a journey, a unfulfilling, empty-handed come up with nothing journey. Because in this, in this age, A-G-E, the demonic realm has a purpose and that is against God's plan and against humanity. There is no middle ground. I know that we can sit there in 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 our mentality, and, and we can think that we can think things through and almost create our own reality. But you have to understand, in the supernatural realm, there is no middle ground. There is no, like, putting your car in neutral and waiting for you to step on the clutch and then put it in gear. There is no neutrality in the spiritual realm. It's either for God or it's the devil. Now that's unsettling for a lot of people. And a lot of people in their in their information age, 21st century mentality are not prepared. Most people would be completely horrified 
I'd like to take it a step further. They would be mortified if they could see into the spirit realm to see how real it is. They are not prepared for that. The thing, the only thing that can prepare a human being to interact in the spirit world is to repent of your sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. That was your introduction and my introduction into the realm of the supernatural. However, that is not describing the level of influence or maybe even possession that was already at work in an individual's life before they experienced the gospel. Now, there's not many takers on that, but I assure you, if, if let, let, me, let me explain it like this. If the devil has you right where he wants you, okay, you're a good guy, you're holding down a job, you got a family, you might drink a few beers over the course of a month, you're not an angry drunk, you just like to drink and get loose, you pay your taxes, you're a pretty good guy, Listen to me, listen to me. The devil is not going to bother you. The devil is not going to bother people until they come in contact with this. The closer they get to the point of contact that God has introduced the human race to through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is when the demonic resistance begins. I cannot tell you as a pastor how many new converts that I have talked to that either are recently baptized and recently filled with the Holy Ghost and almost immediately they're saying, Pastor, I never felt this level of resistance. I never had these kind of issues before. I never had these kind of problems before. Those kind of problems are the evidence that there is an agency that is now against you and it is dead set about pulling you away from this and pulling you out of this getting you away from this. But ladies and gentlemen, I made up my mind almost 40 years ago, I might, might, make, I might make a lot of mistakes because I am so far from perfect, but I will never, ever turn my back on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. Jesus is introducing scribes were those that studied the scrolls and the parchment. They were that certain part of Jewish aristocracy that had access to such things and gave themselves to study. And Jesus is going far beyond the letter of the law. And he's now raking back the covering or the curtain. And he is sharing something. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, 
He walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Notice this next verse. Then he saith, I'm going to tell you why this is scripturally, this is revolutionary. Because now Jesus is sharing with us the, re, the conversation that an unclean spirit has. The reasoning, the motive, the goal, the design, the desire of an unclean spirit. It's not that he's just saying that an unclean spirit can be driven out of a house, a human life. But he's saying that it will, that spirit will also reason within himself. Look at this in verse number 44. Then he saith, I will return into my house. It's mine. That is ownership. Laying claim to a person's life. I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, Jesus is, Jesus is narrating this for us. This is for us. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. This is to ensure that I will not only go back into my house, but I'm going to ensure that we are strong enough that we will take up residence, permanence, occupancy. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now notice this very last sentence here of verse number 45. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So Jesus starts out with the illustration of a man. He's, he's using an individual to illustrate this point, a supernatural reality. But he's saying that that can also be applied to a group. It can be applied to a nation, like the nation of Israel. And that's exactly the application that he's making here. It could be applied to a church. It could be applied to a family. I'm showing you that Jesus gave the perimeters of application. Started with an individual and said that this could also happen to a nation. It could happen to a group, a family, a generation, a church. This has got to be one of the most incredible passages of Scripture in the entirety of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because I can't think of any, any other instance where Jesus talks about an unclean spirit and how it thinks and how it strategizes to get control. 
So Jesus gives us an indication that this spirit is going to come back. If you'll remember in Luke chapter number four, I believe it's in verse number 17, when Jesus successfully, or verse number 13, when Jesus successfully came through the wilderness where temptation was involved. Now you have to get this, okay? You, you have to, you can't go through life thinking I'm gonna be spiritually successful and ignore this stuff. I mean, like you've, you, you've, you've comprehend how this stuff works. And Jesus, when he would not buckle to temptation, the devil had to leave. As long as you're giving in to temptation, the devil ain't leaving. No, I mean, you can, we can sit here, we can lift our hands, we can run the aisles, we should praise God, and we do, and I love it. But I'm gonna tell you, at the end of the day, when you go home, you cannot be yielding and, and brokering deals with the supernatural world and expect to come in here and have the victory and feel God and feel peace and feel joy. You've got to get the mentality that I got him out and I'm keeping him out. You cannot afford to stay at home. In fact, if you stay at home, you will not be able to maintain this because part of the aspect of coming to the house of God. Part of the aspect and the encouragement and the strength of maintaining what God has done for your life on an individual basis is for you coming here for the rest of us that are all experiencing the exact same thing. And we realize we're all fighting the exact same foe. We're all fighting the exact same spirit from hell. And so when we worship, it's not a religious exercise for, for emotionalism. It's not going through the motions to satisfy some religious urge is realizing I got the devil out and I'm going to keep him out. And the devil does not want you living your hands. He does not want you running the aisles. He does not want you getting liberated. He does not want you to be free. He does not want you to go to the altar. He does not want you to go to the prayer room because it jeopardizes his habitation. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Like if you're battling lust tonight, surely nobody in this place is battling lust. Oh yes, there are. The entire human race is battling that. The only difference is you have the power and that's why you're battling because the devil knows I don't want this person sitting on this pew because if they ever truly get liberated and get full of the Holy Ghost, there's people on their job. I don't want to see them here. There's people in their family. I don't want to see them here. There's people in their future. I don't want to see them here. This is an incredible warfare, brothers and sisters, and you've got to recognize that once you get the devil out, God is going to start giving you power. God is going to start giving you revelation. God is going to start producing fruit. God is going to start producing gifts so that now you can help people get liberated. Clap your hands and give in the praise. This is why I thank, I thank God. I thank God for the church services that we have here that are liberating and empowering you're never going to get into the kingdom with your intellectualism. 
You are never going to get anything from God in your intellectualism. God bypasses human intellectualism. That is exactly, see, Paul, Paul, part of Paul's sacrifice unto God was that Paul was an intellectual. Paul was an intellectual of the intellectuals. Paul could go head-to-head with the Stoics, the Epicureans, the Cynics. His sacrifice was is he had to he had to minimize all that and he had to realize that it's not with enticing words of men's wisdom that we're gonna pull people out of darkness, but it is the power of the Holy Ghost. And Cornerstone, this is uh, this is I'm telling you, there's just no e- there's there's not an easier way to do this. I remember an old old saint of God said, you know, live for God hard and it'll be easy. And if you try to live for God easy, it'll be hard. Because there is an unseen world. It's not the pastor. It's not the head of that department. It's the fact that there is an unseen element that is now involved, actively involved in your life. And, when you, and if you allow yourself to get a bad attitude, you've got to be careful that you don't provide him a cleft, a cleft to hide in. I'm not talking about possession. I'm not talking about possession. I don't believe that the devil can inhabit somebody that has been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to settle that right now. If you've got the Holy Ghost, I don't believe that you can be possessed. You may have horrible thoughts. You may have horrible feelings. But my God, if you'll find a place to pray, God will get off the throne and come down and wrap his arms around you and elevate you with redemptive lift. The longer you put off praying, the more extra, more power you're going to give to the devil. If you'll just say, God, I need you. God, I'm a mess. God will be all over you in the power of the Holy Ghost. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Oh, yes, he will. Hey, hold it. Look at this guy. Have you ever heard of men in black? Look at this guy. Man, you look good. He not only looks good, he is good. Look what the Lord has done. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. This church is not about making cookie cutter. If the devil tries to get you believing that lie, you're gonna, you're gonna miss out on what God's doing in the earth. It's not cookie cutter Christianity. It's, it's getting people to the place where they have the victory over the power of darkness and now they're finding out what God has for them. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You can't let the devil do that to you. Because you're going to sabotage. Anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I there are several germane points that I really need to make in this tonight. So let's look at this in verse number 44 where it says, empty, swept, and garnished. Now this is, this is where this spirit used to call home. and he finds it swept. That means an effort to clean, to make presentable. 
habitable. The person that makes, the person that comes to church and starts wearing a sports coat and a pair of slacks and says, you know, I, I, feel, I feel a little better about myself now. I'm going to look a little better. That's, you know, listen. No, you don't have to wear a suit to be saved. But I do believe in giving God your absolute best, and that's really what this is all about. And I remember that the best I have wasn't very good. But I made up in my mind that as soon as I can afford some stuff, I'm, I'm, I, I want to be my best. So there's been some, some modifications made to this life, made presentable, fitting in to a certain degree. And then the Bible says that it was swept, that there was an effort to make clean, to clean out. Get all the, pardon me for saying this, but get all the Playboy magazines and throw them in the dumpster. Man, there's, there's a lot worse in our world today than Playboy magazine, trust me. But you get my point. You take it and you throw it in the dumpster and you say, I'm done. I'm, I'm cleaning it out. I'm sweeping it out. I'm getting the pornography out. I'm getting the bitterness out. I'm getting the ugliness out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to extend some effort here and get it out. And then Jesus said it was garnished. What does garnish mean? It means decorated, likened unto pictures on the wall. Man, when I was on drugs and drinking, I don't even know if I had a picture on the wall in that whole apartment. I wasn't even looking. The rock and roll ding-dongs that came to my house weren't looking at the pictures on my wall. They just wanted to know where the dope was. Get the mirror and the straw. But after I got saved, I tried to, you know, shampoo the carpet and get all the alcohol and regurgitants off out of the carpet. I'm telling you the truth. You don't understand. I'm talking about some modifications were made because I was cleaned up and I was, I was cleaning a few things up and now I was hang a picture, put a picture of mom on there. I had a whole living room wall. And the only picture on there was a picture of my pastor and his wife. In your face, devil. You're not going to separate the man of God from my life. I'm all in. 360 degrees, I'm all in. That was one little picture. Didn't have a little one of those little cute little things to hang a picture. So I got a big 16-penny nail. Whack, whack, whack. A little tiny picture of my pastor and his wife. In your face, devil. Since I'm walking down the road of memory lane, my brother, had, my brother and I had just bought this big, this is the day, some of you guys aren't even you're, you don't even, you won't even read this stuff in history books. It's so archaic. But we had a deal that had an eight-track. How many people remember eight-track? How many of you remember four-track? Yeah. 
It had an eight track. It had a phonograph to play records. It had a big, huge television in it. It had all kinds of stuff in it. It was about eight feet long, weighed a ton. After I got the Holy Ghost, when I got home, the first thing I said was, that's going out. I, we stuck it in the trunk of my car, and six feet of it stuck out. I said, man, we paid a lot of money for this. Let's take it to the, to the pawn shop. We got to the pawn shop, and the guy said, I don't want it. So we just threw it away. See, you don't understand that if I would have kept that in my house, I probably wouldn't be here tonight. No, you, don't try to shut me out, because that would have opened me back up. And see, I made my mind up. That's staying out. Come on. I'm in the Bible. Those spirits are going to visit you, and those spirits are going to try to broker a deal with you, and they are going to try to gain access. The spirit goes back to the house and said, let me see what kind of shape this life is in now. And he finds modifications. It's cleaned out. It's cleaned up. But it's empty. There's no occupant on the inside, and human lives are containers. They're called vessels, which means that they can house or facilitate an occupant. But what really began to turn the wheels for me is this word right here. He found it empty. The word actually means in the Greek. Please, pay close attention. It literally means a holiday, not holy day. That is a biblical, that's a biblical word, holy day. Holiday. It means as one that is on a vacation. It literally means to vacate, to be at leisure, to be idle, to be unoccupied, unattended, and unguarded. Whenever my wife and I travel, and we do a fair amount of traveling, not just for leisure, but we go and fulfill these invitations, we clean the house. We clean the house before we leave. We take out the garbage. I know you don't want to hear all this, but I'm going somewhere with this. We wash the dishes. Yes, you should wash dishes. If you don't, they will come back, you will come back and they will be green. We wash the dishes. Um, wash all the clothes. We want to come back to a clean house. This individual with the usage and the terminology that Jesus is these words, it is likened unto a person that's taking a break. Where are you at? I'm just taking a break. 
I've, I've missed you. I haven't seen you. Where have you been? Just taking a break. Taking a break. His word is not grievous. This isn't hard. I want to talk to you about a dangerous vacation that while you're taking a break, you're losing incredible ground. There's an illustration in the Bible, we're not going to go there, that perfectly underscores this, where it says, while men slept, a farmer goes out and, and uh, begins to survey over all of his fields, and okay, yeah, everything looks good, but Jesus was quick to add that while he slept, an enemy came and sowed tares. The meaning here is because sleep is very natural and sleep is essential to good health. But the greater story is, is that while you are unaware and while you are unguarded, the enemy is, keeps working. He's looking for you not to be looking. He's waiting for you to, to, to lay out a church for a little while. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but I'm trying to give you a principle of the word of God that the reason why it doesn't feel like it used to feel is you've actually lost some ground. But I'm gonna tell you in the Holy Ghost, if you will get down to business just like you did before, you will regain that ground. Because you're one step thinking, well, this is, it's too hard. It's too hard to start praying again. It's too hard to get back in the group. You cannot afford to be an idol. You cannot afford to live in neutral. You cannot afford. You can't afford to live in a backslidden condition and now thinking that it's too hard to live for God. It means the devil is going to claim his house again and even worse. Clap your hands and give God the praise. And I hate, to, I hate to use this as a real example, but this really happened. I called somebody up, and I said, man, where you been? We're just taking a break. Well, as a pastor, I already know what that means. That means that you are forfeiting everything that that momentum that you, I don't know, I don't know what it caused, caused you to trip up. I don't know what it caused you to get off track. I don't know what it caused you to lose your focus. I don't know what it caused, got you to get all combobulated. Now, the resources that you had in store that were yours from all that momentum that you had is now the devil is trying to take that and he's trying to, he's trying to get it to leak out and he's trying to drain that. He's trying to bring you into a lesser condition. My brother and my sister, I come to this church tonight not to condemn anybody but to let you know that God came here to destroy the works of the devil and there is no middle ground. You cannot lay out a church and then look at me and tell me you got the victory it doesn't work that way it is impossible to keep your spiritual momentum and stay out of the divine province of the church of the living God somebody clap your hands and give God the praise I, if I was you I'd make up my mind tonight whatever it takes I might be blind I might be naked I might be wretched but I'm going to claw my way back to the blessings of God there is no middle ground. There are only degrees 
or just there's degrees where we're not fully engaged. The devil is studying us. The writer said it best that men's days are few and full of trouble. I hate to put it in this form of vernacular, but it's the truth. It's kill or be killed. Not, not that you understand what I'm saying, but you've you got to have the mentality that, the devil, I'm not giving you an inch. I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you my eyes. I might have made all kinds of mistakes, but when you, got, listen to me, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I can't help it because i got to get this out there and give somebody some hope. If you can get back to the altar and get back to your lifeline and get back to your life support, then God can drive him back out. I don't care if there's seven devils. I don't care if there's 70 devils. Greater is he that is in me, that he that is in the world. My God, I feel it. Somebody clap your hands. Somebody lift your voice. God is for me, and he's fighting the devil through me. And until you get that revelation, your consecration is never going to be where it's supposed to be. Until you get that revelation, you cannot just say, well, I feel pretty good. I don't have any problems. Everything seems to be okay. And let that be your supernatural gauge. That's very dangerous. I'm not saying that when you're, when you're victorious and you have divine favor that it's 100% resistance all the time. There will be moments of repose. And there will be moments of mountaintops. And there will be moments of victory. But I've been doing this long enough that I just know. When things start popping up and things start happening, I just know, oh, here we go again. And it's time to go back to the same, go back to the toolbox, Brother David, and get the same tools out that, that brought down Goliath the first time. It's now going to take down another giant. You know, Goliath actually had family members, and there were people that absolutely idolized King David, and they followed his warfare, his, his ability to make war to the degree that when David got too old to kill the giants, there were younger men that had followed the king long enough that they said, I can take this one out. I can get this one out. I can take this one out. I'm going to take this giant out until they were totally exterminated. But they were exterminated by younger men because they had seen the kink, what he did in the Valley of Elah when there was an unclean giant. I want to tell you what, there's giants in your life and there's giants in my life. And when it's time to face the giant, it's no time to hide behind rocks and stumps and social media and communicating with people that are unclean. The devil's watching the whole thing, and he's watching you lose the victory you had six months ago. And he says, I just about got him. I just about got him. No, you don't. I've come here to wrench your grasp off of every human life and get back into the victory of the Holy Ghost. Let's clap our hands. I thank God if I was you for a pastor that's not afraid to pull his sword out and go after this stuff. That unclean spirit that used to run your life is going to come back. You don't think I get tired? 
I get tired. Because whether I like it or not, it takes exertion. We went right from a multi-million dollar building program into developing a school. No breaks. No vacations. I'm not complaining. I'm just here to tell you, we're not about to back down. We're not about to let some stupid compulsive behavior get me in the shadows of life and destroy my marriage, destroy my testimony, destroy my direction, destroy my calling, destroy my hope, destroy my faith, destroy my joy, destroy me as a human being. You gotta have the guts, the intestinal fortitude to say I'm not giving nothing up. If you haven't developed that yet, just, just stay with people that do. I'm not putting you down. Get around people that have got that kind of infortitude. You can't do that laying out at home. What are you doing? Well, we're just staying home tonight. That's all the devil needs to hear. The battle for the church in the 21st century is in the home. We have become a nation where we are no longer enjoying freedoms in our country, but we're now enjoying freedoms behind closed doors, and that's exactly where the devil wants us. All your freedoms in the mountains, all your freedoms in city, all your freedoms with this, all your freedoms with conservative thinking, all your freedoms with conservative uh, ideology, all that stuff is being stripped away from us. And now it's being crammed down our throat. And the only way out is to get inside your house and to close the door and shut the world out and then turn on. And the devil says, I got it on both ends. That's why we got to have powerful church. Listen, this is, this is a sobering, this is a sobering reality to Rick Mayo. God wanted me here. I could have lived, can you imagine living in the 14th century? Nobody wearing deodorant. The average person took one bath a week. Honey, Pass the stale bread. I'm not, just, I'm not just trying to be comical. It was reality. Some of the things that we take for granted is unknown in the history of the human, human species to have so many luxuries, so many conveniences. During the dark ages, a family, they all, they all slept on the same bale of hay. No dental care, no deodorant, toilet paper hadn't been invented. I'll stop. <laughs> I can look at some of your faces going. No, thank God we're living in the 21st century. God didn't want the Apostle Paul. He's got you. God didn't want to resurrect the Apostle Peter. He's got you. God didn't need James and Andrew and Bartholomew. He's got you and I. And we are going to see this thing all the way in in a blaze of glory. Not a weak, dismembered, wounded, battered bride, but 
this. A br- Somebody clap your hands and shout with a voice of triumph. I ain't going on no spiritual vacation. When I go on vacation, I take Jesus with me. Coming down the home stretch. Had a friend of mine. I literally saw a man um, a little bit younger than myself. We had, we were kindred spirits. I called the man up. I said, I want you to come preach for me. Preach one of our summit meetings. He did big outreach, did a deal down at um, River, Riverfront Park with him. We were kindred spirits. Today he's a life coach, not even preaching the gospel. Absolutely one of the most haunting, absolutely one of the most haunting things I've ever seen. I'm not going to mention his name because some people in our world, if you mention their name, that is a liability. They're coming after you. But I'm just going to tell you, I'll never forget sitting across um, the table. We had just had an incredible, our church, it was, it was phenomenal what, what, what took place. And we were sitting across the table, and he said, um, what, what movies have you guys seen lately? I said, we don't watch movies in this church. He had his whole entourage there. It was at my house. We were in the backyard, had a big barbecue. I said, we don't watch movies in this church. His next statement, Brother Cody, he said, not even on vacation? Ladies and gentlemen, when I go to the woods, I take Jesus with me. When I go to Scottsdale, Arizona, I take Jesus with me. Jesus isn't going to mind that Starbucks cup in my hand, me sitting in a chair. And while I sit there and talk to him and tell him how much I love him and that I wouldn't even be here without him, I'm not looking to take a break from God. That is exactly what the devil's looking for, is for somebody to say, this is too hard. I need some relief. I need some carnality. I need some sin. I need something compulsive. Clap your hands and give God the praise. I'm almost done. A dangerous vacation. You can't afford to back off your prayer life. I want to tell you. I want to. I want to tell you that if you're if you're just now coming back to God, this is how you build up your faith. You say, Pastor, I'm losing my faith. I don't believe God like I used to. Here's how you get it back: pray in the Holy Ghost, building up your most holy faith. Everything in God is highly regenerative, but if you keep sinning, you can kill your faith. You can kill your joy. You can kill your hope. And if you're not willing to get back in the saddle or in alignment and give yourself to it, that can't be resuscitated and then regenerated. It just continues to deplete if you keep sinning. And I'm preaching to somebody right now. You know, every single word that I have said, you're hanging on to. But I am your best friend here today. I'm not your accuser. I'm someone that loves you. I came here to rescue you from the talons of a snare. And 
then we start going through the motions, and that takes a lot of energy to go through the motions. How are you doing? Great. Man, that takes a lot of energy. I wish I could just tell you how I'm doing. Not very good. What's going on? Well, I've been doing some stuff. Well, come on. Talk to old pastor. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to throw you out. I'm not going to put you on a stool and put a big dunce camp on you. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be behind this microphone. I'm not about to tell you all of the things that God has forgiven me. That's between me and God, and, and God will do the same for you. But somewhere you've got to turn around and say, I am sick and tired of being on the bottom. You're missing the flying way. If you ever get a taste of flying in this, where every single day it's the glory, and it really can be that way. I know it. And every day you can walk with God. You're going to say, you know what? I'm going back to that because I know that is not even what I'm looking for. And all of a sudden, that's not what I'm looking for. And that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking at movies. I'm not looking at television. I'm not looking at sin. I'm not looking at lust. The only thing I'm focused on now is flying with Jesus. Let's lift our hands and give him the praise. God is here to help somebody. I'm here to run that unclean spirit out of somebody's backyard here. I've listened to the lies of the enemy as long as I shall. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to get a backbone and I'm going to find a place to pray and I don't care how long it takes, I'm going to get everything back. an interesting word, and I'm closing with this. There's an interesting word in the Bible that talks about, well, let me tell you what the anonym is. Let me tell you what the opposite of this. The opposite of the word that I'm going to talk about is when you're watching and praying. You're on your game. You're living for God. The devil attacks you. But your shield of faith quenches the fiery darts of the wicked. It's working. You're moving. You may not even feel like you're making any movement. But in the bigger scheme of things, if you could see yourself from God's perspective, those little, those little wars that you're fighting and those things you're going through where you don't feel anything, you're making great strides because you're not going back to drugs. You're not going back to the world. You're not going back to social media. You're doing it God's way. is not hard. You just need more Holy Ghost. God will help you. God will help you. You are a prized possession that God is not going to give up to the unclean spirit that used to rule your life without a massive warfare. But you have to understand something. If, you, if, you don't, if you're not doing this, God says, I'm going to chastise those that I love. That chastisement is not, the, is not God hating you. That's God chastising you, trying to wake you up. Because God has already determined, I'm going to beat you, devil, through them. I'm not even going to touch you. I'm going to beat you at your own game through them. 
Pastor, nothing's going right. Well, what have you been doing? I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about I'm depressed. And Well, maybe you're being chastised. But that's a good thing because he said in Revelation chapter 3, I chastise as many as I love. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. <laughs> Chastisement doesn't mean you've been demoted. It means he loves you. The opposite of being on your game. I'm walking with God. And spiritually paying attention. And spiritually knowing, you know what? I've been going for a while. I need to fast a day or two or three. I'm talking about, I'm talking about being on top of it. The opposite of that is what the Bible calls a lack of sobriety. I want you to listen to this carefully. An interesting biblical word here that is applicable. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 6, it says, be sober and watch. Now, I'm going to tell you what sober means to me. I've got a lot of personal examples. The biblical word to be sober means free from distractions. Free from distractions. You're paying attention. You're engaged. I was reading, I read one sentence. My wife bought me a book from Jordan Peterson. I'm not really impressed with Jordan Peterson. He's a funny-sounding Canadian. I mean, just think about it. Well, anyway. But I read one sentence in this book, and it stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, people rarely think. Usually what they're doing is just echoing personal reflection. They are not really engaged because to really think, you have to be completely engaged. Now that's Jordan Peterson. And that stopped me dead in my tracks because how true is that? Most people go through their entire lives without even considering these kinds of things. Listen to this. The biblical word sober, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 6, be sober and watch. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8, be sober. 1 Timothy 3 and 2, bishops, one of the qualifications must be sober. 1 Timothy 3, 11, one of the qualifications of being a wife is to be sober. Titus 2 and 2, the aged men is to be sober. Titus 2 and 4, the aged women, be sober. Titus 2 and 6, the young men are to be sober. 1 Peter 1 and 3, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. 1 Peter 4 and 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And finally, 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I just made it airtight. The devil's going to come back. He's going to check your level of sobriety. If you ever and I'm being redundant. 
if you ever get to the place, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, and, and I told her, I said, and I wasn't being critical of this congregation. I was just making an observation of somebody that's been, been in this for almost 40 years. That It's getting, it seems to me like it's getting rarer and rarer to find people that have a reference point. I'm going to tell you why the I'm going to tell you why having a reference point is is important because you have something to aim for if you ever slide back. If you don't have a reference point and you've slidden back, you don't have a hope. If you're not somebody that reads the Bible and you're not somebody that believes the Bible and you're not somebody that has a prayer life, you're going to start thinking that this is doom and gloom, that this is the worst thing that ever happened to your life. I've literally had people saying, Pastor, I don't know if I can do this. I'm in more trouble than I've ever been in my life. I've got the devil beating on my door. I've got this going on in this relationship. This is going on. This is springing leaks. I said, good. You're living for God. That's not a curse. That's a divine indicator that you're going in the right direction. You got problem. We are so Americanized of thinking that I've got a full refrigerator, the bills are paid, I've got a couch right here. I'm I don't have a care in this world. That's not the victory in Jesus Christ. The victory in Jesus Christ is you got this, I'm overcoming that. You got this, I'm overcoming that. You got this, I'm overcoming that. You got this. You can't stop me, devil. You're You got to have a reference point. God is so awesome. That he always gives you a reference point before a big trial. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me. He causeth me. He restoreth my soul. Bring the grapes in the pan. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What happened? Pastor, what happened? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I got a reference point <laughs> that this ain't going to be the rest of my life. I'm not going to park my Winnebago in the valley. I'm not going to build a pity party in the valley. I'm not going to live in a cave in the pity party. I'm going to walk through the valley. I'm going to have the victory through the valley. And when I come through the valley, there is a table that's prepared for Here's the best part. In the presence of my enemies. If you never get one thing out of this message, you got to understand that there is a rhythm to your spirituality. It only has, only has four different stopping points. Rest, restoration, conflict, and victory. Worship, restoration, 
valley. Table in the presence of my enemies. Rest. Restoration. Life is just going to be a cycle of us. That's what Psalm 23 was. It was the yearly cycle in the life of a sheep. Rest and worship. He restoreth my soul from the last thing I just went through. Here I go again. I ain't staying down there, Brother Jake. If you're playing by the right rules, God won't leave you down there. You only stay down there if you choose to stay down there. Because God's got a table waiting on you. In the presence of the devil that tried to take you out. Somebody said it this way. For you clock watchers, I've only been preaching 50 minutes. And I feel good enough tonight to preach another 50. But I shout. We have certain women that are with child this evening. And so I'll cut this short for them. Somebody said, I'm closing with this, I promise. Thank you for your patience with me. Somebody said that that table was a place where you sit down with your enemy and you broker peace. That is not what takes place at that table. When you get to that table, you set the terms of peace. It's not a compromise. You require it. You're in control. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. I'm not looking for a vacation from God. I'm not looking for, this is the most dangerous hour that man has ever lived. Unclean spirits are having a revival. But I'm not looking to take a vacation from God. I'm not looking to take a break. I want to go higher. I want to go deeper. Life is but a vapor comparatively to what eternity will hold. And the great regret of eternity was, what could have I done? What could have I been? What could have I done if I just let myself? Let's stand. You can tell all the people that missed tonight, and I know there's a lot of people sick. Don't say it to them. They can't help it. But what were you doing? I'm just staying home. A dangerous vacation. We're going to open up this altar. And if you'd like, you can just come and pray. Find your strength. Brother Jordan, if you'd come and just play a little something, and we'll find our strength. Thank God that we get to hear these kinds of things that can help us prepare for the next battle, prepare for the next victory. Let's pray. God, I love you. God, I praise you. God, I worship you. I'm not giving the devil anything.
just going to keep inching forward. Just day after day, 24 increments. I'm going to live for God the next 24 hour. And then the next day, I'm going to live for God those 24 hours. And then the next day, I'm going to live for God those 24 hours. That's the way you have to look at it because you're looking at it in too much of a panoramic view and it's overwhelming to you. You got to break it down where it's minute by minute if need be. Devil, I'm living for God these five minutes. And then I'm going to live for God the next five minutes. And then I'm going to live for God the next hour. And then I'm, going to, I'm, 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 in, I'm not going back to that habit. I'm not going back to that compulsion. I'm not going to give in to that flesh. I'm going to cut off the dopamine. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do it hour by hour. Damn Day after day, and then week after week, and month after month, until victory becomes a lifestyle. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is in this house here today to revive us. God is all about reviving and regenerating, resuscitating, restoring. Let's pray. 